0: Screenless Hello, and welcome to another episode of Creative Cuppa, where in each episode I chat with someone working in the many creative industries. I'm Gareth Davis, a composer for TV and an audio producer, And I have just come out of self-isolation after going through COVID. Yep, after a year and a half of avoiding this horrible beast of a virus, and I consider myself to be fairly cautious, I tested positive a couple of weeks ago. Personally, I think my first jab stopped it from being worse, uh, and I can assure you that it wasn't very nice. I also feel pretty lucky that I work from home. Well, my garden anyway. And I'm very aware that in the scheme of things, I've been really lucky. So my advice is to get your jabs and just be courteous towards other people, whether they're wearing a mask or not. In fact, it shouldn't take something like COVID for us to be courteous, should it? Now, back to it. Today's guest, Raina, has had a fascinating journey into creativity. One legal career, a dip into creative writing, and then drawing on her experiences from her previous career to start her new one. I won't say too much. I'll let Raina explain. If you have a cuppa ready then... Here we go. Raina Mardagentin, novelist. Welcome to Creative Cuppa.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: You're very welcome. Where in the world are you, Raina? Uh,
1: I'm in New York. I'm about half an hour north of New York City.
0: Oh, Fantastic. And 2021, we, we've all been through a bit of a strange time, haven't we? How is 2021 going for you so far?
1: It's going okay. Um, I've, you know, I'm working and I'm writing books and that's not, you know, that's okay during the pandemic. Um, thankfully, it's been quiet here. We've been healthy. Um, you know, it's definitely a different situation when you have your family home and everybody trying to do their own thing. Um, but it's it's been okay.
0: Some of my creative friends have actually really struggled to be creative through the lockdowns and things.
1: It is hard having everybody around, to be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're if you're used to working alone and working in the quiet, and that's that's kind of gone. But it's it's coming it's true. coming back. So.
0: Yeah. Now we have something in common because I was 38 years old when I switched from being a school teacher to a professional composer. Wow. Uh, and you've changed careers fairly dramatically too. I did. What prompted that move? And, and has it been what you expected?
1: Sure. So I was an attorney for many, many years, and I was doing uh, criminal defense work, appellate work. Um, and I and I loved it. It was a great job, and it was a great way to work and still raise a family. Um, and it, But it was very challenging, as I'm sure you can imagine. These were all people yeah. that had been convicted of felony offenses um, in the state of New York. So everything from murder to robbery, drug dealing, burglary, rape, everything you can imagine. Um, And trying to come up with something for them each time was difficult. Um, We were, it was a public defender's office, so there was no picking and choosing your clients. Um, You were assigned to somebody and you had to find something to say on their behalf. And, you know, often there were very critical legal issues to be raised, um, but other times you were really scrounging, to be honest. Um, Mm -hmm. And as I say, it was challenging. It was uh, fulfilling. But, you know, I did it for almost 23 years. And after a while, it was just hard to tell those stories. And I kind of decided that I would leave that job. I didn't really know what I was going to do next. I didn't have, you know, a particular goal. Um, But I, I was used to telling stories. And I kind of thought that, maybe there was a way to tell those kinds of stories with a more, I don't want to say more complicated that they're not more complicated. It's just that I could make up the things that I didn't know. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. when I, when I was representing defendants, I knew a lot about what had happened at the time of the crime. And I knew maybe a little bit of what happened before and a little bit about what happened after, but I was missing huge portions of the life of the person that did whatever they did. And yeah. Through fiction, I'm able to fill in those gaps that I couldn't ever get to um, as an attorney, and it's it's been great.
0: So constructing a novel and constructing a case, I mean, are there comparisons you can draw there where you're you're really looking at the detail and looking at the narrative?
1: Yeah, in over... some ways, I think it's really quite similar. Um, you know, mm. you you want to have a character arc, right? You want to know what happened to the person when they were a child and when they were growing up and when they had their first love and was there a teacher that made an impact on them or a teacher that could have made an impact on them. And, (laughs) you know, you kind of want to know how did they get to this moment when they did the thing that is inexplicable, you know, because in some Mm -hmm. level there is an explanation you may not accept it and it may not be a good explanation, but, but they didn't arrive at that moment you know, in a vacuum. Mm. And yeah. and that's very much the case in a novel. If you have somebody acting in a way that is just does not make any sense given what they've been through before, what the reader knows about them and what the reader has come to expect, it's just not going to fly. And, mm. you know, it in fiction it gives you a way to kind of come up with those things and make sense of things that maybe otherwise you can't really make sense of in real life. Um, and it gives you a, a perspective, I think.
0: Yeah. So what's your writing process like? Do you draw on your own experiences from those days?
1: So I I definitely do. I think people's debut novel, at least from what I can tell from reading a lot of debut novels, often draws heavily on their personal experience. And certainly mine was about a young public defender who's kind of lost her mojo after representing these kinds of people for for a while. Um, And then she gets assigned to somebody she thinks may be innocent. And that kind of perks her up again. And of course, it doesn't help that he's, you know, also a little bit of a sociopath and handsome and, you know, charming. And she kind of falls that way a little bit. Also, um, that was not actually drawn from, from my experience. Um, but I could see I could see how that could happen. Um, so definitely, I had a lot of kind of my own experiences in that first book. Um, since then, I've kind of I think I've evolved a little bit. Um, you know, my, my second book was actually for yeah. children. And it's about a dyslexic girl um in the eighth grade who doesn't actually know she has dyslexia she just knows that she's not hitting her potential and that was really kind of came much more from my imagination i never um i've never experienced that particular challenge um nor have my kids but you know i think i think when you start to write more you start to realize that you know more than you think you know like if your first book has to be about the people that you know and the experiences you had moving on from there you can write about all sorts of things because you realize that you can get to them from within you can you can reach back to your experiences as a 14 year old and it doesn't have to be that experience of having a learning difference it can be some other experience that you know particularly impacted you at that age and and if you can write in a way that's relatable to people you can write about all sorts of emotions and all sorts of um, you know challenges that you didn't yourself experience um so you know and, and then my third book i did return to the law it's not it's not about me it's about a family court judge um but i did practice in family court both at the beginning of my career and now as a volunteer and i did draw on quite a number of those experiences and coming up with yeah. the cases that she sees in court and the ones that affect her personally.
0: Fantastic. So what does a, what would a typical day look like for you? You're an early bird. Do you prefer after lunch or, you know, what's a typical day?
1: I'm definitely an early bird. I get up usually around 6.30 in the morning. I try to get going. Um, You know, now the house is quiet again. Thank goodness. Uh, I miss (laughs) miss the kids, but everyone's gone back to their regular scheduled life now. So, um, so it's pretty quiet here. And, you know, since I'm not Working and my volunteer gig actually kind of closed down during COVID, so I'm I'm waiting for that to reopen. I I work in the court system as a volunteer, and the courts here are still largely closed. Um, So, you know, I often have my day free and I try to work, you know, kind of intermittently throughout the day. I I kind of intersperse it with other things I want to do. I go exercise, I go take a walk, I go by the groceries for dinner but you know if i have a day free i'm really excited and i can sit down and really try to get a lot done so mm.
0: we've spoken about on this podcast before about even though you might be doing other things the brain's still going isn't it so sure. you you might be doing shopping but actually that could be an Alleluia moment in your in your mind for
1: sure and that, you of, know
0: ah that's what that character's doing right. <laughs> i mean
1: the, the funny thing for me is i um i observe the jewish sabbath and so on saturdays i don't write or use any electricity and because it's so quiet in the rest of my life, that's when most of my ideas come to me is on Saturdays. And, and that's actually, it's, yeah. it's a beautiful thing, but it's also like very difficult in some ways because I can't <laughs> write down. Like I'll think of whole dialogue, we'll, you know, a whole conversation will play out in my head between the characters. And I, you know, um, I often just lose it. Like Saturday night, I'm racing to my computer. What what did she say <laughs> to him? What did she want him to do? And often it's
0: gone. Like, oh, I was going to ask, actually, do you prefer quiet when you're working or do you listen to soundtracks or, you know? No,
1: I'm, I'm pretty much quiet. I don't really, if I, yeah. you know, I get distracted.
0: So um, Yeah, I'm very much the same. Although, you know, I compose music, so mm. obviously there's sound. But yes, doing other things, I think peace and quiet. You've got to let your brain just focus on one I thing. Think so. But um, everyone's different. That's true. So once you've written your book, do you edit yourself? How are they published? Who promotes them? What happens? Yeah.
1: So I've had kind of three very different experiences with these three books. The first one, when I wrote it, you know, it was my first try. I didn't really know what I was doing. I I often take classes, um, workshop classes. There's a local university nearby that has a writing center for adults. Everybody there is, you know, has had another career before they turn to this. They're mostly doing it, you know, out of a love and a passion for writing. But people are not actually, um, you know, professional writers. Um, the, The teachers there are all professional writers. And it's a wonderful place because it's it's not um, you're not doing it for credit you know you're just there with other people everybody's extremely supportive um, so my first book I did I did two classes um, with that book I did a beginning novel workshop and then I did an advanced novel workshop. So all the people in the class, we each read each other's full manuscript um by the end of the cool. uh, term. That must
0: have been a bit nerve wracking. It's
1: nerve it's incredibly <laughs> nerve wracking. It's also, as you can imagine, a, a pretty big commitment of time. I mean there were I think eight of us in the class and so everybody had a, you know, a book that was three hundred pages. Um and, and you weren't reading it like, you know, you sit on your couch and you read the book. I mean you're really trying to focus did is this making sense? Is this language make sense? Did this character progress in a way that makes sense or the turning points in the right place Um, so but it was fantastic so i went i went through that experience actually um with the advanced novel class twice (laughs) um so i they had read it twice um and I started to send it out to try to see if I could get an agent. That's how it works here. I'm not sure how it works there. But, you know, to be honest, getting an agent here is is a very, very difficult process. Um, I would say it is mostly better left to the youngsters, <laughs> um, <laughs> of which I was not one for sure at the time. Not now either. And, you know, it's, it's largely, I don't want to say kids because they're adults, but who are, you know, 25 years old. They've just come out of a Master of Fine Arts program. They... Have made certain connections um they and this is all to the good i mean they have real social media presence um, followers followers on all different platforms um and that's what the agents are looking for they're looking for somebody who has written a great book but also somebody who is going to have a little bit of a ready-made audience when the book gets out and if you're not in that position, if you're somebody who's come to this later in life, if you don't, if you if you barely know how to use Facebook, much less you know Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and everything else, um, <laughs> yeah. it's pretty hard to land an agent. So I tried for a while, and then I kind of said, you know what, this is this is not going to happen, and I'm getting older, not younger. So, um, so I went the route of what they call a hybrid press. I'm not, you know, as again, I'm not sure what's here and what's there, but um, but a hybrid press means that you do make an investment in your own publishing, but they do everything that a regular traditional publisher would do. You, you have to be accepted by the publishing house. So it's a vetted process. They're not just taking anybody. Um, and then they, you know, they do the layout, they do the cover, they do the distribution. Um, they don't do much promotion, but I don't think even many of the major publishers do much promotion these days. You're, that's pretty much left to the author so i went that way the first time around i went with actually a a female-owned press that only published women which i thought was great i mean it was really they're very invested in leveling the playing field a little here which is also still very much dominated by men and there was kind of a a sisterhood around it you know we we had our own facebook group we chat with the other authors we give each other ideas about where you can present your book we you know if somebody's presenting and it's half an hour from my house i try to go and, you know, and that was a fantastic experience. Um, my next two books, I actually did end up with small presses, places that I did not have to contribute anything financially. And, you know, and that's a great feeling too. <laughs> I mean, you kind of feel like, wow, you know, I didn't I didn't have to put any of my money down. Um, I, You know, I didn't feel that bad about the first one either because I felt like if I were starting a small business and I put that kind of money into it, nobody would blink an eye. Somehow with publishing... Yeah. It's considered, you know, taboo. You can't pay to be published, but I I just think that's foolish. I
0: think you should. It's it's your content, isn't it? You can do whatever you want, and it's
1: your life. You know, you want to you want to get out there, get out there. Absolutely. So yeah, so now these two books um, are are with small publishers. Um, Mm. It's been a great experience. They've been lovely to work with the editing process has been great you know the the promotion again as i say is really on the author so you do have to hire a publicist and you know i think
0: it's why um certainly over here there's a huge rise in celebrity authors so these celebrities obviously have massive followings online so that does follow doesn't it
1: of course you know and that and that's tough you know it's tough sometimes to see because sometimes you know you take the plunge you buy somebody's book just to see what it's like and you're like this book is not, you know, <laughs> <like> this, book, <laughs> this book would be going nowhere if it were written by me. But because it's written by X, it's, you know, it's yeah. on every shelf in every bookstore and whatever. But yeah. you know what? You can't look at it that way. I mean, I no,
0: you made it happen. You had your own route and uh, you, yeah. you've made it happen. And so. I've had
1: great interactions okay. with people reading the books. And that's, you know, that's what it's all about. That's, some you know, somebody writing to you and saying like, wow, I was really moved by this or this helped me do such and such, you know, it's it's a great feeling. So.
0: Absolutely brilliant. So, Raina, where can people find you and your books online if they want to seek you out?
1: Um, so they can find all sorts of more information on my website, which is just rainamartyrgenton.com. Um, and on there I have, you know, I have the things that I also publish on the, you know, have published on the side, short stories, um, personal essays, and then all the information about the books. Um, you can certainly buy the books on Amazon UK. And I think, you know, you can certainly probably, I I don't know, I know here you can order them at any independent bookstore. And we're definitely plugging the independent bookstores. They've had a terrible time during COVID. Um, You know, just all the foot traffic has been cut off and people are not just wandering into the store and looking at books, which is sad yeah. um so yeah. you know if if that's something you can do there that would certainly be great
0: fantastic well i'll put all those links in the show notes for you, thank you. but for now Raina marda gentin thanks for joining me for a cuppa
1: thank you for having me
0: Thanks again to Raina for her time. I really like how she's been able to write her own version of events after so many years to fill in the gaps that she couldn't get to at the time. That's what creativity is really, isn't it? Your own version, seeing the world through your own creative filter. This episode was produced by The Sound Boutique for Screenless. So if you'd like to start a podcast yourself, go and check out what they have to offer at thesoundboutique.com forward slash podcasts. Also, Screenless now has its very own channel on Apple Podcasts, which currently houses Creative Copper and Making a Soundtrack. But there are plans for more. So if you're on Apple Podcasts, check it out and see all of the Screenless podcast content in one place. And uh, <clears throat> while you're there, if you could leave a positive rating and review, that would be amazing too. Thank you. That's all for now. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay kind. And until next time, Thanks for joining me for a cuppa.